we got to northern Ohio a few weeks ago on a supposedly fall day, and it was below 20 degrees, and some of the people had shirt sleeves on, acting like, yeah, we got to make the most of this good weather before the bad stuff comes. <laughs> and we're northern people, 14 years I've pastured up there in Illinois, and she's a Pennsylvania girl, but we've got spoiled in North Carolina the last few years, so we felt like aliens landing, and I said, uh, take me to your heater. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, <clears throat> as the Bible says, many are cold, a few are frozen. <laughs> that will be us. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, it's about God's calling, not all about climate. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 2 tonight. Deuteronomy 2, if you still have your bulletin from today, you may follow along with some notes on the back as well. And speaking of pointless stories that have nothing to do with the message, <clears throat> well, this is a little bit of a Thanksgiving story. A man was lost walking in the desert. For about five days he was lost, and he comes to the home of a preacher, and he crawls up tired and weak on the house porch, collapses there on the doorstep, and the preacher takes him in. Nurses him back to health. <clears throat> Feeling better, the man asks the preacher directions to the nearest town. And the preacher says, I'll do you one better. I'll give you the directions, but I'll even lend you my horse. The preacher says, there is something special about this horse, though, very important. To get him to go, you've got to say, thank God. And to get him to stop, you've got to say, amen. So the guy's anxious to get to town. He says, sure, okay, I'm sure it'll work out. And he gets on the horse, and he says, Let's go. guy says, remember? preacher says, he says, oh yeah, uh, thank God. <clears throat> sure enough, the horse starts walking. A bit later, he says it louder, thank God, and the horse starts trotting. He says, oh, this is pretty neat. So he says it a few times, thank God, thank God, thank God, and they're up to a full gallop now. About then, he realizes he's heading for a huge cliff, and so he yells, whoa, but the horse doesn't even slow. It's coming up real quick. He's doing everything he can, pulling back on the reins. Whoa, stop, hold it. Finally, he remembers, amen. And the horse stops a mere two inches from the cliff's edge, almost throwing him over his head. And the man, panting, his heart racing, wipes the sweat from his face and leans back in the saddle. And with a sigh of relief, say it with me, says, thank God. <laughs> in Deuteronomy chapter 2, just one verse tonight, verse 7 says, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. Moses is talking here. It's the first Thanksgiving, 1456 B.C. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness these forty years. The Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. Well, it may not have been November, they may not have had a four-day weekend, they probably weren't greeted by Indians and didn't feel much like colonizing that wilderness they were in there. I'm sure they had no brass buckles or black hats to put them on, but the people of God in our text did have much to be thankful for. And Moses reminded them of what they so easily and oft forgot about. Forty years before this day in our text, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, across the Red Sea miraculously, 
and set them on course for even better things in the promised land not far away. I think it was my first visit here. We went in depth on this next verse, Deuteronomy 1, 2, and 3, where it says it's 11 days from where they were to where God told them to go, Kadesh Barnea, the edge of the promised land, 11-day journey, and it came to pass in the 40th year. What a powerful turn of phrase between those two verses. Uh, so much for a quick trip. They quickly forgot his wonderful works, and by focusing on the negative and what they didn't have, for their murmuring, belly aching, griping, and complaining, and not being thankful, God allowed them to turn what would have been a lovely 11 day scenic tour into a 40 year grudge match of mayhem and meandering. A whole generation of adults died, and now in our text, their kids are being given another chance to do something better than their moms and dads did. And they probably didn't have turkey, but they had eaten quail for decades now. There wasn't any gravy, noodles, or stuffing, but they had prepared manna every which way to Sunday. No doubt about it. Fried manna, boiled manna, pickled manna, breaded manna, baked manna, reduced fat manna, I'm sure. Manna on the half, half shell. For dessert, some pineapple upside down manna or banana manna, whatever. They were tired of all that, but they had a lot to be thankful for. And Moses takes some time to recount all that God had done for them and how they shouldn't forget, how they should stop and give thanks. And I, it's the first Thanksgiving I find in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.12 Beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so Moses reminded Israel of a few things right here in this one verse. Number one, he reminds them of God's providence. God's providence. Notice in verse 7, he says, God hath blessed thee. If you know that you're blessed, would you say amen tonight? We are so blessed. We'll come back to that here in a little bit. It was gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken down pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida every Friday night until his death in 1973. He would go to that <clears throat> old broken down pier, walking slowly, slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp, and seagulls would flock to this guy. And he would feed them from his bucket. <clears throat> it was many, many years before, in October 1942, that Captain Eddie Rickenbacker <clears throat> was on a mission in his B-17 to deliver an important message to none other than General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, his flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran low. They had to ditch in the ocean. And for nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun, spending many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. Day after day, night after night, but of all their enemies at sea, the most formidable was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone, destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, 
and it was a miracle that occurred. Captain Rickenbacker recounts later, quote, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew, and everyone else knew, and no one said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that goal. It meant food. If only I could catch it. Well, he reached up and caught the goal with ease. They consumed a lot of it, and the rest they used for bait to catch fish. And the survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed all because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, gave himself a sacrifice. And Captain Eddie never forgot because every Friday evening about sunset he would go to that pier to remember the seagull which gave itself without a struggle. This man was thankful for what had been done for him. And to show his thanks he served the seagulls in return by bringing them food. He committed his life to feeding them. And how much more should we commit our lives to Christ and be thankful, not just this month, not just next week, but through thanks living all year long. <clears throat> God and His providence has always taken care of us. And that's what verse 7 says, God hath blessed thee, God's providence. And so, as we said this morning, don't just mind your own business, make your business, uh, <clears throat> make the Lord's business your heart's desire for the rest of your life. Like we say in church, do your giving while you're living. God's providence. God hath blessed thee. Number two, God's perception. God's perception. Back to our text of verse 7. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, there's his providence, in all the works of thy hand, and then it says, He knoweth. He knoweth. That's God's perception. Psalm 103.14, He knoweth our frame. And he, he knows that we're dust, this verse points out. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest, He understands us in and out, the the Spirit of the Lord is the, is the candle that searches the inward parts of the belly. Verse 3, Thou compassest my path and my lying down <clears throat> and art acquainted. He knoweth all our ways. Look at Matthew 6, 8. It says, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. He knoweth. That's God's perception. I'm glad we serve a God not only of providence that has blessed us, but a God who knows it all. His perception. He knows us inside and out. Our perception? A little different. A little different than God's. We forget all His benefits so easily, don't we? We quickly forget all that He's done for us. Surely, as my name is Shirley, we must come across to Him like spoiled children sometimes as we, we don't say this, but we act like this. What have you done for me lately? God, what have you done for me lately? The story's told of two old friends who bumped into one another on the street one day. It had been a long time since they'd seen each other, and one noticed that the other looked really forlorn, almost on the verge of tears, and so his friend asked him, What has the world done to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, Well, let me tell you about it. 
three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. His friend said, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, but uh, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. He said, yeah, but then two weeks ago, a cousin that I never even knew died, left me 85000 free and clear. He said, um, kind of sounds like you've been blessed. He says, you don't understand. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited over a quarter of a million. His friend was so confused. He said, then why do you look so glum? He said, this week, nothing. <laughs> nothing. You can tell when these stories are true, can't you? <laughs> and when they're not. <laughs> but you know what? That's the trouble. That's the trouble with receiving something on a regular basis. Even if it's a gift, we start coming to expect it. In America today, it's called the entitlement mindset. That this world owes me stuff. Uh, it used to be, you know, the pursuit of, what was it, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But now it's just... I'm entitled to happiness, not just to pursue it. Somebody's supposed to give it to me. <laughs> We've been blessed to live in a land of plenty for so long, we've become complacent. They say there's a region in Mexico where there's hot springs and cold springs right next to each other. And because of the convenience of this natural phenomenon, the women in that area bring their laundry naturally, and they boil their clothes over here, and then they rinse them over here. And a tourist watching the procedure commented to his Mexican guide, wow, this is great. They must think that Mother Nature is generous to freely supply such ample, clean, hot, and cold water. And the guide replied, no, senor, there is much grumbling because she provides no soap. <laughs> you know what? The grass truly is always greener. We can, when a person wants to be miserable, God will let them. You want to go that way, you can... You can have what you want, but in the end, you'll see if you want what you got. Psalm 103.2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. We're so forgetful. Oh, folks, don't let it be next November of 2020 before you really take on an attitude of gratitude again. Let's get involved in thanks living day after day, month after month, and forget not all His benefits. God's perception, He knoweth. Our perception, not so much. So, we move from God's providence and God's perception, number three, to God's plan. Back to our text. Notice these two words in the middle of the verse, thy walking. After it says, He knoweth, He knoweth what? Thy walking. Stop right there. God's plan. I love Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in His way. He knows our walking. He knows the plan every step of the way. Devastating floods came to the nation of Mozambique in the year 2000. Families were separated as they fled from the rising waters. The death toll rose. The floods receded. The bodies that had been submerged were discovered. Some counts were in the thousands. And one Mozambique minister named Samuel gave thanks to God and mosquitoes for saving his life. Listen to this story. As Samuel, along with 16 other people, clung tightly to branches and limbs of trees for two days, he began to preach because they were in a harrowing situation fighting for their lives. 
So he started to preach, and all of them hoped that his preaching would keep them alert to their surroundings. And so they listened and watched as furniture and televisions and dead cows floated by them. Then mosquitoes began swarming around them, repeatedly biting them. And Samuel testified later, quote, I thank God for those mosquitoes because they kept me from falling asleep. If we had fallen asleep, we would have been carried away by the water. You know, it's not often that we're thankful for something like mosquitoes. On a nice summer night, I've often wondered why God allowed Noah to take those two mosquitoes on that ark. <laughs> so you're looking at me like, are you really that dumb? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> uh, God has a plan at all times. He knoweth thy walking. He, he works it all together for good. And we don't understand often when we're going through the thick of it. But one thing we know from past experience is one day we will understand it all better by and by. Yes, we will. Number four, God's purpose. See, he has a purpose with this plan. Back in our text, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, God's providence, in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth his perception, thy walking, his plan. Then it says, through this great wilderness, God's purpose through the great wilderness. Now over in chapter 8 and verse 2, we put it on the screen, Deuteronomy 8, 2, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Look at this. To humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. See, he had a purpose to humble them, to prove them, to test them, to stretch them. And guess what happens when God stretches you? You come out a little bit bigger than you were before. Guess what happens when God puts you on the, on the fire? There comes forth a vessel for the finer as the impurities rise to the top. He's got a purpose in it all. The Lord knows what He's doing. We can know this in advance. Oh, but during the difficult times, we so easily forget. But the Lord knows what He's doing. And His plan is the vehicle which brings His purpose in our lives. He's teaching us all the time. And yet we seem to learn the most in the desert of our days. Isn't that truth? Uh, pain is a primary motivator. <laughs> and it's in the desert of our days that we learn the most. God's purpose through this great wilderness. We sang that song tonight. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. Number five, we've come to God's patience. God's patience. Did you see in our text, 40 years. Verse number seven. Thy walking through this great wilderness these 40 years. <clears throat> now we usually think of those 40 years of going in circles. And we think of how long that must have been to them. Uh, I think of an old gospel song that says, uh, Take another lap around Mount Sinai Till you learn your lesson Till you stop your whining And you quit your rebelling <clears throat> Till you learn to stand in the day of testing By trusting and obeying in the Lord Take another lap. <clears throat> we think about how patient they had to be, but consider God and His patience. 
And look at an interesting verse here, Acts 13, 18. About the time of 40 years, suffered he <laughs> their manners in the wilderness. God had to have patience. And he is patient with us. When it comes to patience, he's the ultimate. Sometimes i got to wonder, why does he put up with me? How can he still be willing to work on me? And he still has a plan and a purpose for me? How patient is he? To be truly thankful, we need only be thinkful. <laughs> thinkful, if I can coin a word. Think, and it won't take long to see that God has blessed you rich, richly and that he is patient. And as another song says, he was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. We'll never run out of things to praise Him for around His throne in heaven, will we? Throughout all eternity, God's patience these 40 years. Number six, we see God's presence. God's presence is evident through this verse. And you know in the big picture of the story how he led them, right? His presence was pictured by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was there with them. Always before them leading them, behind them protecting them, and on either side of them. In Matthew 28, 20, the Lord says, Lo, I am with you always. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God's presence. Thank God for it. Number seven, God's provision. At the end of verse seven, it says, These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee, thou hast lacked, what's the last word, church? Nothing. Nothing. It was the psalmist David who said, I've been young, and now I'm old. But never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Can anybody here refute that? No one can ever refute that. Thou hast lacked nothing. All our needs, not necessarily all our greeds, but all our needs. Deuteronomy 8.4 Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. We know from other texts that the same shoes that they started with lasted them through forty years, and the same clothes that they were wearing. How amazing is that? There was no goodwill along the way. <laughs> God's provision. Psalm 34.10 They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So will we be thankful? <clears throat> or will we be like those nine guys I sang about this morning? Nine of the ten lepers Jesus healed in Luke 17 who ran along on their way perhaps so excited by their blessings that they forgot the blesser. Did you know just how blessed we are 
to be right where we are tonight? Did you know that if you could shrink the earth's population down to a representative village of 100 people, let's say the 7 plus billion people on the face of the earth are represented by 100, just to make it a good, easy, round number to wrap our head around, 57 of them would be Asian, 21 of them would be European, 14 of them would be from the Western Hemisphere, 8 of them would be Africans. You got the picture here? We're just talking ratios here, all right? Portions of the whole. Of those 100 people, the whole world's population, if there were 100, 50 of them would be either suffering from malnutrition, one of them would be near death at all times. 80 would live in substandard housing. 70 would be unable to read. Six of those hundred people would possess more than half of the wealth of the whole. And all six would be from North America. All six. Where you live. We attend church tonight without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death. We're better off than three billion people in that regard. We have money in the bank, or certainly could if we wanted to. We have food in the refrigerator, clothes on our backs, roof over our heads. The poorest people in our nation are richer than 75% of this world. We have the richest poor people in all of the world. Do you know just how blessed you are tonight? Not only these facts, but historically it's been a Christian nation where the gospel has been propagated, and so you've heard it, you've accepted it, and you've been born again. That means even if you were in one of those other countries, you'd be better off than the whole world too. But God happens to have blessed you in the way that He has right here in the United States of America. August 1944, the sun had just risen on a hot morning in the small village of Plilo, German-occupied France. A 15-year-old boy did not know why he and the other citizens of Plilo had been lined up before a firing squad in the middle of the town square. They suspected that maybe it was because they were being punished because they had been harboring a group of the French underground freedom fighters, the Marquisards. All the boy knew was he was about to die. As he stood before the firing squad, maybe he thought back to the carefree days of his early childhood before the war. Perhaps he thought of all that he would miss by never growing up, never have that first kiss or get married or have children or see their kids. Most of all, he was probably just afraid of dying. But suddenly in the distance, the boy heard the sound of exploding mortar shells beyond the limit, limits of his little village. And quickly rolling tanks could also be heard. The Germans were forced to abandon their firing squad and face just a small unit of U.S. tanks with 20 GIs led by a guy named Bob Hamsley, a corporal in Patton's Third Army. Someone had asked Hamley for help. 
The word had got to him just in time, and after three hours, 50 Nazis were dead, another 50 were captured. And in 1990, years later, the town of Plilo honored that corporal, Bob Hamsley, on the very spot where dozens of the town's citizens would have died if not for him. And the man who initiated this, the search to find him and bring him back to that uh, anniversary was the former mayor of Plilo, who happened to be that same once 15-year-old boy. He brought him back because he was grateful for Hamsley, who had risked his own life to save the lives of others. And now, as a grown man, he had determined to find him and to honor him. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're truly thankful, it causes you to spring into action. It makes you want to do something. Something more than just eat the turkey. <laughs> something bigger about Thanksgiving than just the political argument around the table with your beloved in-laws. <laughs> To do something more when you're truly thankful, you will desire to express that thanks in tangible ways that make a difference. And that was Moses' thanksgiving message to God's people in what I calculate to be about 1456 B.C. And you know, it was years later after that, years ago to us today, that a much greater sacrifice was willingly offered for you and for me. Aren't you thankful for what Christ did for you on Calvary? And shouldn't it make us want to do something? Take action. Get involved in a serious way the rest of our lives.